0: and welcome back to What is a Lutheran? Episode 2E, We Are Beggars. Last week, we got Luther and the people we can finally call Lutherans to the Diet of Augsburg, where before the emperor they confessed what they believed. This week, we are going to get Luther to the end of his life, discuss some ugly happenings in that life, and end right where we began, in Augsburg. When we last left our story, the princes, Philip Melanchthon, and the rest of the Lutheran party, except for Martin Luther, who, remember, was still an outlaw, so he had to stay in Lutheran territory, were boldly reading the Augsburg Confession to the emperor and the whole imperial diet. It should not surprise you that the emperor did not just roll over for this confession. He firmly believed that to have a united empire, he needed a religiously united empire, and these princes were getting in his way. Roman Catholic theologians drew up a response to the Augsburg Confession called the Confutation, and Charles had it read to the whole assembly. The Augsburg Confession had been a document meant to emphasize unity, but with the Confutation published, the Lutherans realized that wasn't happening. Melanchthon wrote a defense of the Augsburg Confession called the the Apology in response to the Confutation, The apology is far less conciliatory and doesn't mince words, with both sides becoming more and more hostile. It was obvious that the divide had not been repaired. After this, everyone was getting ready for war. The princes knew that Charles was committed to religious unity enough that he would force it on them with his armies, if he had to. So the Lutheran princes and cities drew up a defense alliance called the Schmalkarik League. Luther was not a fan originally of this league because he thought that, one, you could not justify rebelling against the legal emperor with the Bible, and two, Christians could not justify using force in armies at all. But the princes argued with him that it was Charles who had forced their hand, and there were practical realities to consider. Luther begrudgingly went along. However, the war everyone thought was coming had to be put off for a few years. In 1522, the Turks invaded again, and this time were at Vienna, and Charles needed the Lutheran troops to fight, so he called a truce. Charles got the Turks to retreat, but they then attacked Italy and southern Spain. 1533 brought more problems, as France and the papacy allied and were planning to attack Charles while he was busy with the Turks. It wouldn't be until 1538 that Charles could get a truce, and not until 1540 did Charles really get a chance to turn back to the religious question in the empire. Now, there's a lot of political intrigue that, while interesting, doesn't really help our narrative, so I'll just sum it up this way. Through a lot of backroom intrigue and diplomacy, Charles managed to divide the league, and it looked like Charles had them right where he wanted them. However, the French again allied themselves with the Turks, and their fleets attacked Charles's territory in Spain and Italy, while invading through the Netherlands and the Balkans. It wouldn't be until 1544 that Charles would have peace. Leaving Charles there for a minute, Luther was not just involved in international politics through this period. He was trying to reform a church, preach, and write. However, through this period, Luther's health was in serious decline. Actually, it's been in decline since last episode. In 1527, he suffered from kidney stones, then dizziness and fainting so bad that he had to give up preaching for a short time. The attacks of dizziness continued and in 1532, Luther again had to give up preaching, this time for two months. He would develop an open sore in his leg that would stay with him for the rest of his life. Kidney stones, gout, constipation, and hemorrhoids would continue to afflict him. Needless to say, this decline in his health, combined with overwork, did not help Luther's temper. As we have talked about, Luther was always colorful toward his enemies. But by this point, he was downright nasty. During this period, he wrote that he could no longer pray for Catholics, and that if he did pray for them, it was all curses directed at the papacy. Anabaptists, who are a bunch of reformers we haven't talked about, who are more radical even than Luther, also received vicious attacks. However, Luther's most vicious attacks were reserved for Jews. In 1543, Luther wrote a tract entitled The Jews and Their Lies. I won't go into all the awful details because there's enough anti-Semitism on the internet as there is, but suffice it to say that Luther says some of the worst things about people who are Jewish and advocates for their synagogues to be burned and their worship to be banned. This is all the more striking because earlier, in 1523, Luther had written a little work titled, That Jesus Was Born a Jew, and had advocated for religious toleration of the Jewish faith, what had happened in 20 years. Before I answer that question, I want to be clear. None of what I am about to say excuses Luther's behavior and writing. It was awful, and it was just wrong in every sense. That said... The first problem was that Luther's various illnesses made him particularly vindictive toward everyone. Even his wife noted that he was mean in his old age. Second, immediately preceding works like The Jews and Their Lies, there were rumors going around Germany that Christians were being converted to Judaism. These rumors seemed to be largely baseless, and even if they were true, it's no excuse. But it seemed to have provoked Luther to anger. Third, as Luther was starting his Reformation project, he was operating under the rather naive assumption that Jews had not converted to Christianity because the Roman Catholic Church was preaching works, rather than the grace of Christ. Luther seemed to believe that if the church started preaching the right message, then Jews would convert in droves. This, of course, is ridiculous, but as Luther got angrier later in his life, he directed his anger to people he thought were just being stubborn. And as I said, none of that excuses Luther. In his day, The Jews and Their Lies was not a very influential work. No one took seriously Luther's proposals. However, Luther was the first person widely read throughout all of Germany. You can't underestimate the influence of even the bad works like The Jews and Their Lies. Also, Luther's more awful works about the Jews were used by Nazi Germany in the 1930s and 40s to justify their evil crimes in the Holocaust. Today, Martin Luther's anti Semitic works have been officially repudiated by Lutheran denominations. My denomination, the ELCA, officially disavowed the work in 1989. However, that doesn't mean we can ignore this. Luther wrote many wonderful things, but he is not the Messiah. He is a deeply flawed man, and I think we can recognize that. Luther himself believed in what we call saint and sinner, that is, that we are both saint and sinner at the same time. To quote Rudolf Hines, who wrote Reform and Conflict, Luther's life and personality tended to confirm his theology. After 1543, Luther's health would not improve, and neither would his temper. Katie was, during this period, overheard, saying, Dear husband, you are too rude. To which he responded, They are teaching me to be rude. Luther would journey to Mansfeld to mediate a dispute between two counts. The negotiations were concluded, and on February 17, 1546, he began to experience chest pains and went to bed. That night, Justice Jonas, a friend of Luther's, asked him, Reverend Father, are you ready to die trusting in your Lord Jesus Christ and to confess the doctrine which you have taught in his name? Luther's reply was a clear yes. On February 18, 1545, Luther had a stroke and died in Eisleben, the city of his birth. A funeral was held in Wittenberg, led by Philip Melanchthon and another friend named Johannes Bugenhagen, and Luther was buried beneath the pulpit of the church. When Charles V finally attacked and his troops entered Wittenberg, Charles would order his troops not to disturb the grave. Later on, a piece of paper was found which appears to be Luther's last words, most of it written in Latin, and it appears to be a series of random notes, some about classical texts like Virgil and Cicero, and a few about prophets. However, the last line was written in German, and it reads, This is true. We are beggars. And that sums up Lutheranism. Luther had spent his life defending a theology that says we do not and cannot earn God's love. Left to our own devices, we can't do it. Yet God is gracious and forgiving and loving. It all comes to us by grace. Luther's own life, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, only confirmed this. It's true for Luther as much as it is for anyone. We are saved by grace. We are truly only beggars. Luther's death, however, did not stop the world from spinning. All this time, Charles had been trying to negotiate with the Lutheran princes for a reuniting of the church, but to no avail. In July of 1546, Charles had finally had enough and declared war on the Lutheran princes and their league. In 1547, a major battle was fought and the Lutheran princes lost. John Frederick was even captured. Charles then imposed what we call the Augsburg Interim. The Augsburg interim was basically reimposed Catholicism on the Lutherans, with some reforms thrown in. It was, however, binding on Catholics too. As is usual with moderate positions, no one was really happy. Lutherans felt oppressed and Catholics felt that they were watering down their faith. In addition, many of the free cities of the empire, cities that were under no prince but only under the direct authority of the emperor, outright refused to accept it. Philip Melanchthon teaming up with another Catholic bishop tried to come up with a different compromise called the Leipzig Interim. This interim agreement was essentially Lutheranism, with a few bit of Catholic influences thrown in, like the Latin Mass, seven sacraments, and the celebration of Catholic feasts. This again made no one happy. The interims were going nowhere, and the free cities led by the northern cities basically told Charles that he would have to destroy every one of them if he wanted religious unity. The Protestants began forming another defensive alliance, and they were joined by more princes who were angry that Charles was using Spanish troops in German territory, nationalism being just as important as religion sometimes. War again broke out between the emperor and the Lutheran princes. This time, however, the Lutherans were allied with Henry II, King of France. In addition, the Turks were again invading, this time through Hungary. A truce was called in 1552 that agreed that all parties would finally reach peace at the next Diet. In 1555, the Diet met in the same place we began, Augsburg. A new pope had just been elected, and Charles was basically MIA at this point, so the Lutherans took the lead on negotiating. In what we call the Peace of Augsburg, the Lutherans were officially recognized, and Lutheran princes, imperial knights, and free cities were guaranteed equal security with Catholic territory. Each territory could decide whether it was Catholic or Lutheran based on the principle of, to whom the rule, his religion. Basically, a Lutheran prince meant Lutheran territory, and vice versa. A secret provision said that in the case of church territory, Lutherans and Catholics would be equally tolerated. With this piece concluded, Charles finally threw in the towel. He had had enough. He had thought that if he had just did enough reforms, he could reunite the church under imperial leadership. However, he had underestimated how much France and the Pope did not want that leadership to be his leadership. He had also underestimated the issue at stake for the Lutherans. It was not just minor reforms. It was a whole theology. On top of that, Charles was having health problems of his own. racked by gout from years of overeating and aged prematurely by the stress of reformation and countless wars, Charles was a broken man. Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor and King of Aragon, Leon, Castile, Sicily, and Naples, Duke of Brabant, Burgundy, Limburg, Lothier, Luxembourg, and Archduke of Austria, not to mention count of a dozen or so places I can't pronounce, abdicated the throne in 1556. Spain, her colonies, Italy, and the Netherlands went to his son Philip. Austria and the emperorship went to his brother Ferdinand. He would retire to a small villa slash monastery in Spain and die in 1558. It should be noted that the Peace of Augsburg is not the end of the story. The Peace of Augsburg did not include the other Protestant groups that had begun to develop. Sorry, Calvinists and Anabaptists. This is a deal between Catholics and Lutherans. Religion would continue to be an issue, and it would not be truly over until the Thirty Years' War ends in 1648. For Lutherans, too, the story does not end there. Lutherans had become divided during the Augsburg and Leipzig interims, and significant theological issues would need to be resolved. Some of those stories we will get into, especially when we focus on the Lutheran confessions. Also, there are little historical debates that I skipped along the way that we will certainly need to return to. Luther debating about the sacraments with a man named Zwingli is especially important and we will get to it when we talk about the sacraments. However, this should give you a solid sketch of how these strange people called Lutherans came into being. Please keep these episodes in mind, as I'll be referring back to them as we move forward. So what do I want you to get out of all this? Well, Luther was not Jesus. He was, in addition to being a brilliant theologian and pastor, a deeply flawed man who taught some awful things about our Jewish brothers and sisters, and this would lead to truly frightening consequences. Don't dismiss that. Frequently if you hang out with enough Lutheran theologians you will hear someone talk about late Luther. Usually this is dismissive, as in, oh, well that's just late Luther. I don't think we can do that with Luther. We can't divide his life and take the part we like without also taking the part that is horrible. And since we are finishing up a whole section today, what do we make of all this? How does this history help us answer, what is a Lutheran? Well, a complicated answer would be that Lutherans are a Christian denomination that began as an attempt to reform the church, and after being kicked out, developed a religious tradition centered around justification by grace. But that will put anyone who asks to sleep. Luther's line, we are beggars, probably sums it up better than anything else. Lutherans are the people convinced that Jesus, Paul, and Luther were right. It is truly all about grace. We are truly all beggars. And so we will leave the Lutherans there for a while. Luther is buried, and the peace is achieved. For the next two weeks, we are going to have two of those interlude episodes. The first is going to be a quick rundown on how Lutheranism spread outside Germany. Many Lutherans aren't German, and their story needs to be told. After that, we are going to have an interlude devoted to a character I haven't mentioned at all, but who has been very important to our story, George Spalatin, personal secretary to Frederick the Wise. I haven't mentioned him, but he is a fascinating person in his own right, and has been helping Luther this whole time. After that, we will get back on the trail and start delving into theological topics about Lutheranism, starting with justification by faith. I hope you can join me next time for What is Lutheran?